Most startup leaders don't have project managers. Yet, knowing whether projects are on track or behind is really essential to manage the team, to manage the expectations of clients, project managers inside and outside the company, and to manage the promises of the company to the board, to customers, or whoever it might be. Plus, if you're not monitoring progress, it's really hard for you to know what's happening, for you to get involved early when there is still time to address the issue, to make course corrections or call in more resources. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with executive coach Robert McNaughton. Thanks, Jason. I think this is probably one of the most tractable things that we could talk about in relationship to startup leadership behaviors, and that this is measurably what drives things forward in an effective company. Yeah. You know, without this, without tracking people, um, it's really hard to know if your people are effective, if the projects are effective, if the teams are effective, if you're running on time. Um, And yet, what typically happens is as organizations grow and more and more uh, people kind of come underneath a given leader, it's really hard to track everybody's commitments. And so most leaders rely on the integrity and the accountability of their people. And it only takes one or two times to get caught with your pants down to realize that you can't rely on others in that way. When your baby on the line. It's your company or your team because you are accountable at the end of the day to getting stuff done. Yeah. In a sense, it's kind of the difference between order and chaos in a company where it's like there's going to be chaos because reality is unpredictable, but having a trustable system for tracking commitments where we can actually hang our hat on the integrity of our team is is essential to having a, a shot at at reconciling with this chaos and moving things in the direction of where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Let me just give a quick example, a costly one. Um, so I was working with the CEO. Um, he promoted a, well, actually hired externally, but then putting a, a person in place to be the marketing VP who was really a brand person, um, but really a high-end, well-respected brand person. And he put in a, a marketing program um, that was going to be like $100,000 a month in, in outlay. Um, and at the six-week mark, the CEO checked in to see what was the cost of acquisition for new customers. And, you know, they put $100,000 in, and they were essentially paying like 600 bucks per customer when you actually looked at the acquisition. And he was like, okay, we're now $150,000 in to this. Why hasn't it changed? And the brand person basically said, well, I'm developing brand, right? And there was this big struggle being like, no, like $600 cost acquisition. Like if we go into the next round of funding with that number, we're not going to get funding. That's right. Like we need to get this down to $30. You know, it's, this is not about brand. And then, so the marketing VP left six weeks later, a very similar conversation ensued. Another 150 K had been spent without the results. And, you know, this is when I basically got involved and said to the CEO, like, this is your fault, Mr. CEO. This is, you can't be blaming the marketing VP. Yes, he might be incompetent, but you had your head in the sand. That's you right. just spent 300K, right? And you've really done a great disservice as you go into the next fundraising round. You need to correct this. And essentially, we fired that person. We hired an external team that could really run with the numbers, but it was a really costly mistake. It cost us three months plus several hundred thousand dollars. Um, and that mistake should have been one month and more like $50,000. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, it can be extremely cost costly. And it's funny how this can really be in, in a blind spot for a lot of leaders. And it seems somewhat obvious. But if it's if it's not working, it's not necessarily always seen. And I, I've got a, an example, I was on the board of this company, and I wanted to get like a closer view of what was going on, why, you know, we just weren't hitting our marks over, over and over. So I started attending some of the, you know, the tactical meetings of the, you know, the operations teams. And it's like, like Groundhog Day is the metaphor of like what it feels like to be in a company that isn't doing this well. Because like every meeting I would show it up for, they'd be like, okay, so show us the charts and da, da, da. It's like, oh, here's what we should do. That's a great idea. We should do that. And I was like, do you not remember that we had this conversation last week and that you committed to doing this? And mm-hmm. you haven't even mentioned that. Yeah. Like, are you tracking this at all? So it's, it's literally like, am I in crazy land here or, or is this deja yeah. vu? Yeah, it's kind of like, let's say that we're, you know, in Austria and we're heading, you know, we have a train going to Germany, right? And that train is going to take a, two weeks to get there. Like we want kind of regular phone calls from the conductor saying, Hey, we're either on time or we're late because otherwise we have all these people waiting to unload the train that we don't know when to, how to organize. Yeah. Um, And so we have to determine the right level of milestone because if we're going into that meeting, you know, we're in Germany waiting for the the shipment to unload and there's no shipment. It is going to be like groundhog day. Like if we, do this right, we should cancel that next meeting, right? And make some new course corrections to deal with what we learned. Exactly. And this is like dynamic steering is impossible if you don't have a destination that's consistent. And like nothing drives me crazier than companies that put all this money and time and resources into like an annual, you know, strategic offsite or something. They bring in the facilitators, they get really clear on how the milestones line up with their values and then three months later, no one can hardly remember what we talked about in those meetings. It's just a ghastly uh, waste of resources if we're not tracking our commitments. Now, Robert, I think it's really important to say, I don't personally care who tracks the commitments. Fair. Right? What I care about is that there's visibility into the progress on these commitments. Whether you have a project management team, whether you have a relationship with your direct report, where they're giving you a red, yellow, green on every single project on a weekly basis, um, maybe even shorter for the really essential ones, or whether you're doing it yourself and you're tracking all the commitments in project management software, Asana, whatever it is. Uh, I don't care where it comes from as long as it's happening. As long as you're not going to get caught with your pants down. Yes. The key performance indicator here in a certain sense is trust. Like is the system that's being used trustworthy and because outside of that it doesn't matter it it can be pen and paper and frankly like i i have worked with clients that use pen and paper because they like rewriting it every week and refreshing it in their mind and copying the notes over and that's it's great company's been doing this for you know hundreds of years successfully like don't you know fancy software isn't the solution to this necessarily no and you know people who have amazing memories Right before every one-on-one, you know, that morning they could sit down and they could write down, "Hey, I want to check in about this, this, and this." Um, and you know, the combination of good memory, good instincts, and a little bit of preparation is sufficient. Other people, there's no way they 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 will be able to do that, and that they need to be uh, have a more formal system. 
And for them, it might be actually formalizing the expectations that all their direct reports will capture everything and send them an email afterwards. And, you know, if everything has a date and a milestone, then, you know, setting things up, it might be sufficient and expectation that they're going to track the milestones. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so speaking to like, what are the reliable things that get in the way of this being done? Well, I, I mean, for me, it, it's kind of like if, if you're giving people too much rope to hang themselves with, um, you know, the, the, this trust has to be built over time. And you might have people that are totally uh, autonomous and capable of doing this, but you as a leader, you need to be able to sign off on their commitments first. And that might require asking more questions to see how much someone thought this through. So as a leader, I can say, yes, I sign off on this being a commitment of yours. Yep. And I think you just pointed this to, pointed to this, Robert. You are going to, you can treat people differently. Right to the COO, you know, you assume that they can handle their milestones because they're really good at that. They're the COO, but your chief science officer, like you, don't do that. And I've seen plenty of circumstances where we've had to change people's roles because they're not good at commitments. And so, you know, I've seen a chief science officer, you know, become the visionary and the the big picture thinker, but get you ask them to do nothing that has concrete action steps. Yes. Someone else does that. So, you know, you are treating people differently. Or I've seen another chief science officer where it was like, okay, this person is a mess. They're brilliant. We actually can't do it. We need them to be the face of the company because of their brilliance and their history. And, you know, we put all these resources around them so that they could be managed. Yes. And that they could be, they could actually show up to an interview, you know, on time. Yeah. I mean, supporting each other really is key. You know, this is, it's always a team effort, right? We need yeah. to take 200% responsibility and that's how we want people to support us as well. And, you know, one of the, the best ways to do this, um, and I work with a lot of clients on this, is like just ask questions, you know, and this obviously with direct reports, but also cross-functionally and even in managing up. But certainly, you know, with your direct reports and your one-on-ones, you know, it's like, okay, what are your priorities? What are your current commitments right now? Just audit. Cross-functionally, it works just as well. It's like, hey, what are you working on? We might need some resources from your team. Can you just let me know what your priorities are? See how well they know that. And it'll certainly bring it to their attention if they don't. And then managing up, you can certainly, you know, say, it's just like, hey, what are our priorities right now? Just so I know that we're on the same page. Um, A great way to test how people are tracking their own milestones. You know, I want to put some attention on, with that in mind on the technical teams, right? Because it's really hard to make clear commitments and set up clear milestones, Sure. right? Hey, I'm doing something I've never done before that no one in the world has ever done before in a software that's brand new for a client base that we barely know who, who they are. And you want me to give them you a clear commitment about when this is going to get done. I'm going to guess six weeks from now, but between now and six weeks, I'm going to discover a lot of things. Sure. Other things are going to happen. And so, you know, it is hard to make those commitments, right? But let's say that that six weeks turns into three months, doubles in time, which is a pretty regular occurrence. That's right. Right? We're not going to fire the CTO. I mean, unless they're incompetent in other domains, but like, let's look at that and let's debrief that. How do we get here? How could we do it differently? And over time, what we see is like that six-week promise was too big. 
Yes. Right? That we should be making, you know, smaller slices of commitments. And over time, that CTO, and, you know, a lot of times we're working with, you know, younger CTOs that don't have pattern recognition, you know, they're going to learn to understand, wow, this particular project involves the clients, the customers, it involves pro the product team, um, and I have to just invade, like, I have a lot of people to deal with. I'm not going to give a six-week commitment here. I'm going to give a 12-week commitment because yeah. I can see the complexity. And if you don't have these conversations around milestones and these check-ins, no one's going to learn how to make better commitments and how to organize and how to think. Um, yeah. They're just going to keep on pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. You know, it's, it brings to mind the Dwight Eisenhower quote of, you know, uh, plans are worthless, but planning is essential. Yes. And like, you know, there's great methodologies that are built specifically with this in mind. This is like why agile is such a common methodology for engineering teams. But, you know, what we're, we're not talking about you being a hundred percent reliable profit of what's going to happen. No one expects you or holds you accountable to that. What we are talking about is just consistency in integrity that what commitment I make, I'm staying consistent with, especially when we're dynamic steering and we need to adjust. It's like, okay, here's what I promised. Here's what I committed to. Here's how I'm adjusting it based, based on reality. And I'm keeping you in that conversation loop so that there's no surprises, that we're not going to be sideswiped and lose a bunch of resources that don't need to be wasted. Right. And the key here is tracking progress. Yes. Right. Is early identification of risks, of problems, early enough that you could still do something, as you talked about dynamic steering, yep. right? If we're 30 degrees off and we're heading towards a, a mountain lake, you know, we can't jerk the wheel back. We're not going to survive. Like we need to catch, you know, like stay in your lane and catch things earlier. Yes. Like before you exit the lane or as you're crossing the yellow line, you know, you want to have those like those rough, rough uh, pavement things. Those, what do you call those things? I don't know. Um, but you know where, where it makes noise, the rumble strips. Oh yeah. The rumble. Yeah. The rumbling. Right? That's, that's what we're talking about here. We want to create rumble strips so that when projects or initiatives are off track, yes. we see it, we feel it, we know it, we talk about it, we figure it out together. Yes. Yeah. I talk with my clients about, uh, knowing your canaries in the coal mine, you right? Know, what are the early indicators of this? And you know, it's uh, like one of the things I, I like to work with when my clients ask about, okay, what are the best productivity systems I should be using? I was like, well, it's not about the system to me. I, it's more about hygiene. Like, are you like putting in the consistent attention to upgrade whatever system you're using? Cause it's like, you don't, you don't wait until you're sick to go see the doctor. Right. Many people do, but mm -hmm. that's a problem. You go to the doctor for regular checkups so that you can be aware of what the indicators are so you can get out ahead because detecting cancer early on is pretty easily uh, reparable. Survivable. F finding stage four cancer is very difficult to course correct around. You know, I think most people don't actually know the canary in the coal mine metaphor here. Um, so back in the day, right, before carbon monoxide alarms and before all the different alarms that the miners wore, they literally would bring a canary into their coal mine. That's right. Because canaries are very sensitive to certain chemicals and literally... Air quality. The, the, the bird will die. That's right. And when, you know, literally they would have a light on a bird in, and if the bird died, everybody would evacuate. 
Yep. Right. Because that means that they were all about to die. So it was an early indicator, right? Now, obviously now we, you know, we, when you go into mine and I've done that where I have like six different things and acid boots and all sorts of things and all sorts of monitors to detect that. Yeah. Right. That's kind of what we're talking about, but we're talking about it when you're doing something for the first time, you know, in a, in a project with people that are, might be new to you to track progress, check in on milestones so that we know what's going on. We could take corrective actions early and we could basically check in progress and know how good someone is at making commitments and then keeping those commitments. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, this is what mindfulness looks like in an organization of being more aware of things. It's like one of my favorite canaries in the coal mine in my life was like, when my, when my, uh, I started getting TMJ, like jaw tension, it's like my dentist was like, oh, you should be wearing a night guard for that. I was like, no, that's my canary in the coal mine. That's when I know I'm stressed is like when I start kind of grinding my teeth and I know I can like, uh, uh, reorient and, um, you know, readjust things. But this is right. This is why we have heads up displays at work. This is why we have KPIs. This is why we have whatever methodology you're using. But it's to be aware of the tensions as early as possible so that we can integrate and dynamically adjust with them. Indeed. Thanks so much, Robert. Thanks, Jason. Good one. To all the leaders out there, um, and in many ways, we're all leaders, whether there were individual contributors leading a team or the CEO of the company, we hope this conversation has been helpful.